Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Ward and today's guest is Paul Howard. Paul is a wine writer and educator and an expert on blockchain. Uh, his company is called Wine Alchemy Limited and he's based in the north of England. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Monty. Right, the first question is, how did you get into wine? I got into wine quite late, actually, in my late 20s. I was an accidental tourist in Burgundy. I went on holiday with some friends and suddenly my good friend at the time said that he wanted to go and buy wine direct from vineyards. I, at that time, thought he was completely ins- insane and um, lagged back uh, when we walked up to the to the first vineyard and from the moment we walked in and walked into the cellar and tried the wines and the hospitality I was hooked and I've been doing that ever since. So you're buying wine direct from producers are you? I do yeah. So do you buy from Italy? uh, Most of my wine now is bought from Italy. Uh, My great passions are Champagne, Burgundy and and most areas of Italy. Okay have you got a special area that you you work with uh, in particular? In Italy probably around the Veneto is is, is my most favoured and, and, and most visited area. Why is that? It's partly originally back to ease of access into, into Verona itself but I just fell in love with the styles of, of the Resin Bell Policella and then Suave. I then found some of the other Smaller Appalachians, if I can call them that, Bartolino or the Colibariki, just found endless pleasure in, in finding new wines and new styles. So who are, your, who, who are your customers in the UK? Are you selling to restaurants? Have you got a private wine list? I don't actually sell wine. I sell the concept of wine and I do, and I do tastings for consumers, but I don't actually sell wine personally. Okay, so you, yeah. you, you have wine for educational purposes. Yes. Yeah. So what, you're a, you're a teacher as well then? Yes, absolutely. So, so you're teaching who? Members of the public? Members of the public. Sometimes I will do my favourite ones these days are, are corporate groups, partly because corporate groups always turn up, should we say. But members of the public that want to know about wine from absolute beginners to, to, to more expert people. And I'll, and I'll pitch different courses or, or different wine seminars uh, to those fi- featuring great wines, which I often serve blind, so people can have no preconceptions beforehand. So what is the perception of the people that come to your tasting classes about Italian wine in, partic- in general, sorry, and, and the Veneto wines that you've talked about I think, in, in um, particular? The, the perception changes a lot afterwards. So the, the, one of the pleasures I get is the fact that people in the UK still don't know as much about Italy as they might do say about France or indeed about Spain and one of the things that impresses people a lot is, is just the sheer diversity both of grapes and, and of wine styles. Isn't that the challenge there? It's, it's yes. bewildering isn't it? Absolutely bewildering. So how do you make it simple for people so that they can really grasp what, what the difference is between say a Suave and a Valpolicella? I know one is a white and one is a red but how yeah. do you do that? What's your approach? I think, I think what I like to do is try, try and tell stories and, and base it around something that has some resonance so one of the great things about Italy is the beauty of the countryside so you can you can kind of start with an introduction to what the area is about what the arts about and then you can move people very gently into and they grow wine here and these are the kind of grapes that they grow and you may not be familiar with those please don't worry too much about DOC DOCG IGP all of those things and don't worry about the fact that sometimes Grapes have long, unpronounceable names. Let's just concentrate on what on what's in the glass. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what they are until afterwards, and we'll do a reveal. 
and then you tell me if you like it and you tell me if you don't and all I ask is if you don't like it you tell me why so when people don't like something do they do they say oh Italian wine tastes very acid or very um, alcoholic or there is a perception again that Italian whites are highly acidic and, and quite neutral which I think at one time was was possibly true there is a perception as well that Italian wines are always very powerful red, the reds certainly are always very powerful and can be very tannic and so they're taking the the kind of the Barolo model if you like and what I'm trying to do is say yes those kind of wines exist but there's an awful lot more besides so have you tried this white wine it's actually much broader it might be Chardonnay for example Pinoletta or have you tried a lighter red like like Lagrine. Do you think one of the problems with, with English or sorry British um, people is is nobody really wants to admit they actually like wines with a tiny little bit of sweetness, even if uh, it's not written on the label? Absolutely, yeah. So there's that classic. I like sweet, but I'll only admit to being to dry. So one of the great things about Prosecco is that it says dry on the label, which actually means sweet, and and that kind of is is actually quite a good introduction to that kind of thing. And it's it's one of the things that I like to explore with people and and to actually say there are no right and wrong answers. There are, there are no observations that are necessarily wrong. Let's explore what what those are and let's see if we can develop some of those things. And it, you know, if there are things that you don't like, I'm sure I can find something that you do. You never dreamt of becoming a sommelier, did you? I did at one time, yeah. Well, in, in, in my younger days, I've always been interested in, in, in actually selling and storytelling. But I think these days I, I like to confine my stories to the written word rather than or, or to one events where I can talk one-to-one or one, one to a few people. Just tell me about blockchain. How does that relate to your wine activity? It's an interesting thing because for many years I was part-time. It was always my dream to go full-time, which I am now. But I spent most of my life in financial services, which you can imagine is completely different and often perhaps quite boring in, in, in comparison. So wine was a real get out for me. It was, but one of the things I discovered later in my financial services career was a new technology called blockchain. Blockchain is actually the, the technology that makes Bitcoin work. And of course, Bitcoin's be, whatever you think of Bitcoin, it's it's become hyped and full of, full of money. And of course, from there, um, banks, the, the kind of people that I work for, were very interested in using the underlying blockchain to see what else they could do. Why would they want to use it rather than just paper, dollars and, and physical money, coins? Yep. The one thing that blockchain gives you is, if you like, a version of the truth that is incorruptible. So the, the way the te- technology works is that once you've put a, a trade or a transaction or an asset onto the blockchain itself, it becomes unchangeable and there are various complicated mathematical formula to, to maintain that. That means that whenever you transact on whatever it is that's on there, in this case wine or it could be um, you know, legal services or it could be a currency, every transaction is linked to the previous transaction indelibly. So you've got a perfect history from, and in this case uh, in wine, from, from growing the grape all the way through to the consumer opening the, the, the wine and, and drinking it in the glass, you have a, a perfect history that cannot be changed of where that wine came from, who made it, how they made it, and through whose hands it's been passed by the time it gets to you. And how much it costs at each stage. And, yeah, you could record that very easily. Do people record it easily? Because surely that is, in, for some cases, quite sensitive information, yes. isn't it? So one of, one of the things about blockchain, there are things called smart contracts. 
the idea of a smart contract is to automate all the paperwork and the, and the legalities behind the transaction. One of the things that you can do with any item of information, including things like price and terms and conditions, is that you can do what's called permissioning. And permissioning means that it's that, that information is there as an indelible record, but it's turned off to those who shouldn't have any interest in it. So if I was saying buying wine from you, we could come to a commercial transaction and we could record that that transaction's happened, which is the important thing. But the actual amount of money or, or when I need to pay you or, or when you're going to ship the wine to me can stay in the private domain. Between us? Yeah. Right, so if I sell you my three euro bottle of wine and you're paying four euros fifty for it yeah. and you are clever enough to sell it for, for 600 euros a bottle, yeah. that the person that's buying it buying for 600 euros a bottle does not know that actually he's or she is paying way over the odds. Correct. Okay, so I mean, that's that's kind of one advantage of it, that sort yeah. of secrecy. If if I was a dodgy producer or dodgy, saying selling wine from denomination or Appalachian X, yes. and actually I was blending in wine from Appalachian Y, yes. would the blockchain be able to find out that I was I was being dodgy or not? Yes, it would. But what uh, if I if, if if I was buying wine from a dealer who wasn't on blockchain? Mm. So I bought so I bought some Merlot, yeah. and I was selling you a Sangiovese, and I said, right, here's my Sangiovese, and you said, well, that tastes quite nice, and you're going to you would not know that I actually put stuck Merlot in it, would that's, you? That's correct. Whereas on blockchain, you would. And one, one of the um, things that I want to bring out is about how you can use blockchain to stop fraud in all its ways. We've, we've seen a number of instances this year and, and in previous years of people doing exactly what you said, buying cheap wine from some Appalachia, you know, Van de France or something like that, repackaging as something very much more expensive and pocketing the, the, the change, which is different, you know, disenfranchising both the, the retailer but obviously the consumer as well and, and disrupting the whole category. With blockchain, if that wine had been made and, and was on blockchain, when it was bought, it would be registered as, as a Merlot. You couldn't then sell it as a Sangiovese. If you tried to sell it as a Sangiovese, you don't, it would still be caveat emptor, but the person buying could look back at the blockchain record and say, that isn't what you're, what you're selling. Me. But, I mean, if I was really dodgy, you know, having made one, I know in my, in my wine I've got two tanks. I've got one of Sangiovese yeah. and one of Merlot, and I'm selling you a tank of Sangiovese. But actually, I empty the tank of Merlot and send that to you. If I've declared that as Sangiovese and you've tasted it, oh, that's same taste, all right, tastes a bit like Sangiovese because you're not a very good taster. Mm. In that case, on the record, it would say that Monte Sangiovese was actually Sangiovese, yes. and it would then be up to you outside of blockchain to get a chemical analysis done. So actually, the DNA of this wine it was it was grown in Germany, and yeah. it doesn't come from so one from Italy. Th- one of the things that bonafide wine producers like yourself would, I think, appreciate about blockchain is that the quicker you get more wines on the blockchain, the quicker that we'll have a situation where a non-blockchain wine will be the one where you go, hold on a minute, I need to check. Because if you're putting the wine on the blockchain, the most important transaction is is what's called the genesis transaction. And that's when you as a producer put the wine on because we have to believe the truth of, of that first wine. Now you can verify that, for instance, in the vineyard. You could have weather station drone technology. You could have a record of when you, you've used biodynamic sprays, for example. You could put on your organic or biodynamic certification. In the winery, you could have testing of various stages in, in winemaking, but you could also put that isotopic analysis yeah, exactly. on. So that would guarantee. A non-blockchain wine wouldn't have that guarantee. So I think that's one of the advantages 
for people moving to that situation. What about what about cost? If I if I'm a producer and I'm going to sell, I'm normally I sell my wine for five euros a bottle. Yeah. And you come to you make a really nice wine. Can you pay me? or get on the blockchain system. How much extra am I going to am I going to have to charge you to cover any costs I may incur? Virtually nothing, because the the actual transactions themselves get, getting onto the blockchain is a matter of almost public record. The code was actually, in, when it was invented, was invented as an open source code. And it was it was left by the inventor to the world. Open source code means anybody can use it. Yes. And so you've got various companies, startups using blockchain. And the cost of adding that wine onto, onto the blockchain is no more than it would cost you to fill a ledger in through Excel. Right, it's, virtually, it's virtually nothing. And it's actually using the same process. You can even use your browser to do it. So it's it's the amount of time that it would take you to upload that data. So there's virtually no cost in that whatsoever. There are some costs downstream because the important thing is also how you track your wine as it moves through the distribution chain to the customer. But there are some very cheap examples like QR codes and RFID tags that are either their cents even a RFID tag is, is only a few cents in price. Right, and what does RFID stand for? Radio Frequency Identifier. Okay. Uh, and so it's, and it's, in English, what does that mean? Uh, in basically, it's like a QR code in that it will broadcast to a, to a device like a smartphone the thing that says, hello, I'm here. Right. If you're in a warehouse or on a ship or however you're transporting the wine, you know that that pallet is broadcasting to you, hello, I'm Montes Merlot, or hello, I'm Montes Sangiovese. Where does your interest in this technology stem from? Were you once ripped off as a, as a wine merchant or something, and you think, hang on, I don't want, I don't want to be taken for a ride again by, by a no, supplier? I'm, or is it the technology that it's, fascinates it's, you? It's partly the technology, but I think, oddly, it's because in financial services, I became fascinated by fraudsters. One of the reasons was purely intellectual because I've often thought, if only you put that incredible skill to good use, we could all be actually quite a lot better off. When I started in wine, I've seen a lot of wine frauds and wine scandals over the years. Me too. And I'm always amazed by how easy it is for the wine market to be the victim of frauds at every stage. If you're selling eggs, it's very hard to pretend it's an ostrich egg is an ostrich yes. egg and a, and a chicken egg is a chicken egg. It's yeah. very hard to pull the wool over somebody's eyes, but in yeah. wine, it's very, very easy to do. Yeah, that's right. You've, you've, you've got a liquid in a bottle and that liquid can be substituted and it can be adulterated. And we've, we've seen every kind of fraud from the obvious kind of that's fake labels for the investment fine wine market. But my real interest is actually in, if you like, the, the volume market for everyday drinkers where the, they can be ripped off. Um, and we've seen a large incidence of, of faked wine or adulterated wine over the last few years. And that means consumers are getting ripped off. And I'm a consumer and I don't, you know, that, that doesn't sit well with me. Well, it's great to talk to you. Your title of your company, Wine Alchemy Limited, just talking about fraud. I mean, why alchemy? Alchemy Because alchemists, we kind of think, oh, you know, I've seen some alchemy in the wine industry where I've blended wine that shouldn't have to, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that. No, I, I think, <laughs> sorry, I, I think that the, actually you're making a connection, which is actually quite an interesting one. I've never thought of that. When I when I named the company Alchemy, I was I was actually following some of your ideas for, from some of the things that you'd written in, in Harper's about biodynamics. Uh, articles of 
of which I've still got, by the way. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. Well, that's, we've both been around a while. And, um, Speak for yourself, mate. <laughs> one, of the, um, one of the interesting things I've, I've found is that in, in chemistry, the alchemists were the first chemists, and they were trying to turn base metal into gold. And in a sense, and in a very loose sense, that's what I'm trying to do. Cool. Paul, it's been great to talk to you. Fascinating conversation. We've never had anybody on the show talking about the things that you've been talking about. Today. Fascinating interview. And uh, we hope to get you back in the future. Yeah, I'd love to come back. See, how the, see how the blockchain uh, thing develops in the wine industry. Yeah. Really interesting. Thank you very much indeed. No worries. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.